0: If you were not here last week, I encourage you to listen online. Phil Weissenden was our guest, and uh, he uh, uh, gave a message called Changing the Atmosphere, which was a great way to start the new year with uh, a renewed uh, emphasis that we need. I say we need, I need, you need individually, and especially as a church, in the priority of being great commission people, being being a great commission church. You do remember the Great Commission. I've got it on the screen from Matthew chapter 28. And it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And here it is. Go, therefore, and do what? Make disciples of all nations. Literally, as you are going, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I came across this quote and I just kept it in my file from former pastor of the uh, First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Jerry Vines. And he said this, and it really struck me when I read it because it's so true. He says, Many churches and individuals become caught up in extraneous activities, many of which are worthwhile, and we attempt to avoid our evangelistic responsibility by submerging ourselves in all kinds of functions without leading people to Christ. Has that been your experience? it been my experience. And it just, you know, it isn't like we sit around in a, in, a, in a room and say, all right, how can we avoid the Great Commission? How can we just do everything and keep ourselves busy so that we don't have to be witnesses to the gospel? No, we don't do that. It just, it just happens. And one of the things we try so hard around here to do is to be cognizant of what we put on a schedule, and, it, and it, it seems like it gets harder and harder when you're trying to find time. You think, well, you're not a, you know, it's a smaller church as compared to, say, some others. But we, we, we have a busy, you know, calendar. And, it, and there's things that are going on. And it isn't, way, it isn't meant just to keep you busy. But if we don't go back to saying, kind of like I remember the story of Vince Lombardi, uh, who was the great coach for the uh, Green Bay Packers. Uh, ah, that's the way bears look at him. But anyway... Uh, being a Bears fan, but I remember after one devastating season, they didn't have too many when he was coach. But one devastating season, stories told where he gets where they're in the locker room after just a massive loss, just creamed maybe by the Philadelphia Eagles. There, uh, I don't know, uh, but and he just picked up a football and he said, "Gentlemen, this is a football," meaning we are going back. To the basics, right? We're gonna start. This is a football because the way we played, I'm not sure you guys, I don't know if you settle that. And sometimes as a church, we need to, in essence, say, This is a football, this is the great commission. You know, I mention every week those three C's, a celebrate and connect and commit. And I always say we need to be committed to the Great Commission. It doesn't do us any good to be committed and passionate about things that Jesus is not committed to. But the Great Commission reminds us, here is your mandate. Now, as a church, and every church does this, I think, they go through seasons where they're evaluating and retooling what is our vision statement, what is our purpose statement. And we're kind of in that process now. We had those small groups in October, and we're kind of still in that process of saying, how can we, it isn't that let's come up and invent something that nobody's ever said or done, but really the, the essence is saying, how can we be very intentional and specific and obedient to the Great Commission? That's the mandate. That's the purpose of what Christ has given to his people. So how has Grace Church Are we intentional about being obedient and fulfilling the commission that Christ has given to the church? So that's what we always want to be looking at. But when it comes back, are we committed to those things that Jesus is committed to and and has commissioned? It wasn't, hey, if you guys aren't busy building your little kingdoms, share the gospel with the lost No, this was not an add-on. This was here is your mandate. And if you remember, fast forward, the disciples are doing what Jesus told them to do, to go to Jerusalem and wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says the reason it's important to wait is because the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you power to fulfill supernaturally what you naturally cannot do by yourself. Now that's an expanded translation. It just means, "Wait for the Holy Spirit to give you power to fulfill and do what I've commissioned you to do, commissioned you to do, and that is to go into all the world. Start in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, all the ends of the earth. Start with where you live and expand from there. So this morning, I want us to uh, look at uh, as something in Acts chapter eight that is an encouragement, but here's really what I want to uh, ask ourselves, and I'll ask it at the end. Are we committed to the great commission or is it the great omission in our life? As a church, and we are the church, a building is just where the church gathers, you know that. But for us, is it the great commission or a great omission in our lives? The last thing we want to do is is guilt you in anything. You're smart enough to know that because that doesn't usually motivate anybody. But when the Spirit of God begins to motivate you, I mean, last week when uh, Phil um, gave kind of that call and, I mean, this entire front section area was filled with people that said, man, we, we hear this. And as a pastor, I'm like, great, but let's see, because it's easy to walk forward and make a big commitment, right? It's a whole nother thing to put feet to that obedience. And so, uh, one way we're going to do that already in your bulletin, you'll see in February, uh, Phil's coming back to do uh, uh, an evangelism training time with us and to, and to get practical on how we can do that. And, uh, and I would encourage you that if that's important to you, I'd encourage you now to make plans to do that. Um, and uh, that, that, I believe, will help us to be people of the Great Commission and not the Great Omission. But let's pray and ask God's blessing on his word this morning. Father, we thank you for, Lord, the gospel that has touched our lives and changed us. Lord, for something uh, people who have been given so much, there is a great expectation, Lord, of the obligation we have, Lord, to be a light in the midst of darkness. God, you call us all different in different ways, but it's all the same that we are to be uh, desirous that What has changed our life, that Jesus Christ who's impacted and reversed and changed my direction and given me a hope and a purpose. God, there's people that we live all around, maybe in our household, in our school, in our workplace. God, they need to hear this wonderful good news. And you'll give us strategies. You'll give us specific places and time as we'll look at in Acts chapter 8. But Lord, let us be ready when the Spirit says go. And when the Spirit says, now's the time. do this. Lord, let us be a people that are ready for the Great Commission. We pray in your blessing on your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, in Acts chapter 8, trust that you're you're there and your Bibles are open and uh, you're ready to follow along, whether uh, you've got it in the print or on the phone or whatever works for you, uh, because a lot of this won't be on the screen, so it'll be important for you to follow along. Normally, we'll read it at the beginning, but because of the length of it, uh, it's better if we just kind of walk through it. Acts chapter 8 is a pivotal, and by the way, the title of this message is called A Chariot on Fire. A Chariot on Fire. Remember the movie Chariots of Fire? Remember that movie? Long time ago. Does anybody remember that movie? Am I the only one that's like a all right, Remember that? It was, a, it was a, about the story of the, the missionary in China who ran during the Olympics. Remember that? It's a It's a great movie. Uh, it's a little slow, so don't, don't kill me. But it's a, it's a great movie because it's a true story of a, of a man's commitment to Christ and how that impacted his um, uh, involvement in the, uh, I forget what Olympics uh, it was. I think it was the one in uh, Berlin or Munich. But this morning I want to look at an, another chariot that got on fire, not physically on fire, but spiritually caught on fire with the gospel. And so in Acts chapter 8, just to give you a little background, because it's always important to kind of see what's uh, kind of before it and after, the church in chapter 7 of Acts has experienced great persecution. Stephen, one of the early deacons of the church, was the first martyr murdered person, murdered Christian of the church, and the hands, uh, the one who was instigating the whole thing was somebody by the name of Saul, who later we know converted, became a convert to Christ, and we know him as Paul, but here he is as Saul. And we come to chapter 8. The church in Jerusalem is still reeling from this uh, death of Stephen, and it says in beginning in chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. So we see here Saul and his uh, instigation of trying to destroy the church um, that he says in Galatians 1, how he tried to destroy the church, but God had other plans. And it says, and there arose on that day, verse 1, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Now interestingly, didn't Jesus tell them to go out? And what did they do? They kind of hunkered down in Jerusalem. And so God will get you out of your comfort zone one way or the other. Hopefully it won't be through persecution, but we see how in spite of this persecution, you know, this is the thing you got to always remember. Uh, Somebody said that persecution to the church. He said, the church is like nails, and persecution is like the hammer, and the harder they hit, the deeper the nail goes. The harder the enemy tries to destroy the church. Didn't Jesus say something about that? Upon this rock I will what? Build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so the enemy tries to do everything to destroy God's people and God's purpose, something he's been trying to do from the beginning. But here, what seemed to be a great attack against the church actually caused it to move beyond Jerusalem and, be, and spread, and again, just worked against the schemes of the enemy. And so it says there was great persecution. Verse 2, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. They were greatly sad, but it says, but Saul, that we later know as Paul, when he became a believer, was ravaging the church, the ESV says. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. What a rotten guy. This is a rotten man. This is a rotten guy thinking that he's doing God's purposes. Now, what happened here, and I'll just kind of paraphrase it in verses 5 through 8, is that here we see Philip. Now, don't miss this. Great persecution, great attack of the church, and God has thrown up his hands and thinks, "Oh no! All this that I've been planning now is gone out the window. What am I going to do?" Does he ever No, no, no. God doesn't. God's not worried about that. What does God do? God sends a Philip, another deacon, and God brings a great revival in Samaria, so here you have this great persecution going on, and God is still moving. God is still saving. God is still advancing His kingdom purposes in a revival. And so, Philip, in verses five through eight, it says, "Verse five, you went down to the city of Samaria, and you know that was that was uh, the Jews. Uh, they they didn't they 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 hated they hated Samaritans. You talk about racial prejudice." Yeah, they they didn't like those folks. And so God sends Philip there, and it says what? In verse 5, he proclaimed Christ to them. In verse 8, as a result of this great revival that took place, it said the city experienced great joy. Listen, when you get your life right with Christ, when a church gets its life right with Christ, when a city, when a nation, guess what will happen? There will be great joy. That's what's going on. And so Philip, he's come off of this great revival, and you know he's kind of ready to go back home and do a little R and R and rest a little bit. But God still has plans, and he—and this is where we're going to look at—go uh, over down to. We're going to skip this Simon guy, the magician, who's who's uh, interesting character. But go to verse twenty-six. So we see Philip coming off of that great revival. God's doing great miracles, and and people are being saved. And the gospel is being advanced, and it says now, verse 26, Acts chapter 8, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, that is a desert place. And he says, I want you to get up and go. And that's the first thing I want you to look at this morning is, number one, notice with me the pursuit of a seeker. Now, I say the pursuit it wasn't, now, now Philip is responding to this angel of the Lord, responding to the direction, but who is pursuing who? God is pursuing this man, this seeker. We'll find out who he is. Do you realize you got saved because God pursued you? People say, I found God. No, 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 no. God was never lost. Little heads up there. He was never lost. God pursued you, for God, soul of the world, He gave. He pursued by sending His Son, and so here we see God using Philip, using this 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 man, this leader in the church, and God is going to use this man to pursue this. Uh, it says that he was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a part of the royal uh, office of Candace. Queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, here's a news flash this man from Ethiopia was a man of color. May I just say it? He was a black man. And yet, God pursued him. And one of the greatest miracles and stories and the greatest churches that were birthed in Ethiopia, they trace back to this guy's conversion. So let's get that out, especially on a weekend we talk about Martin Luther King's birthday. Listen, and because of all this nonsense going on in our culture and our government, and may I say it, a president who needs to learn to keep his mouth shut and quit embarrassing us, hello? Hello? You can agree with political policies, but you can be ashamed of behavior. Let's make sure that this is a kingdom that knows no separation because of race, class. The book of Revelation says there will be a day when a multitude from every tribe and tongue and every nation are going to be worshiping Jesus, okay? So don't miss that here. He's a man of great responsibility. He apparently uh, is a religious man because verse 27, it says that he, uh, of course, uh, Philip arose and went, and this Ethiopian, this high official who was in charge of all her treasure, her money, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Uh, he might probably was what we call a God-fearing Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. But he was somebody who had respect for the Jewish religion, who had a respect for the law, the, the Torah, whatever. And uh, he had come to Jerusalem uh, to worship. And he probably, being a Gentile, he was allowed to, to, uh, uh, to gather in the court of the Gentiles at the temple. He couldn't go in and participate in all the different ceremonies, but he could participate in a very limited way. And so he was a man of great responsibility, he was a religious man. But notice what he was doing in verse 28. And was returning and seated in his chariot, uh, chariot. And, of course, that's where we get the title, chariot on, on fire. And we'll see what caught on fire later. And what was he doing? He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Those of you here were in December, we took all those Sundays in December and looked at the prophet Isaiah and how Isaiah spoke of the coming of Messiah. Some people look at Isaiah as the Old Testament gospel because it's so full of Jesus. And what is he doing? He's reading, probably had bought, I'm assuming here, somehow he had got access to a scroll, maybe went into Uncle Herschel's used bookstore there in Jerusalem. There's no one, I don't know, I just made that up. Bought a scroll, being he, was a, he had some money, he probably bought a new scroll and so he's doing what a lot of us do when we travel, right? We pull out our Kindle, our tablet, a book or whatever. and if you're like me and flying, I pull it out, and about three minutes later I'm asleep. It's on the plane, you know it just kind of but he's reading, and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah and again, God is doing a work here and and it should just cause us to pause a second. And remind ourselves not to be surprised that sometimes the people that seem to be the most unlikely to be receptive to the gospel, God's doing and preparing hearts and doing things behind the scenes. I love what, uh, you've heard me say this so many times, uh, Bill Fay who does the series Sharing Jesus Without Fear. And he, and kinda, he just has this thing, he just drives home. It says, look, God is working all around us our job, and this is kind of part of asking questions with people, he said, God is at work in people's lives all around us. We just want to find out who those people are so we can open our mouths and be a part of that process that God's ordained to lead somebody to Christ. But God's at work in all all around you. And that person that may be that obnoxious boss that coworker, that person that you just think just is vile and ugly and what, you don't know what's going on in their house. You don't know what they're reading. You don't know what they're listening to. For all you know, they could be tuning in to Chuck Swindoll on Moody Radio every night because they're hungry for the truth and hoping somebody like this Philip will lead them to truth there. Here, what's he doing? He's sitting in his chariot. Reading from the prophet Isaiah, God is preparing people with with uh, to have hearts that are open to Him. He's drawing them to Himself. Jesus said, "No one can come to the Father unless the Father does what draws him to Himself." That's a work of God. That's why we say this is this is about God pursuing this man. It's a it's a work about God pursuing this seeker. But notice, secondly, don't miss. This part here, as we look at this, is what uh, we look at the power of the Spirit, the pursuit of the seeker, but also, secondly, notice the power of the Spirit. Now, it says in verse 26, the angel of the Lord, but if you go down to verse 29, what does it say? And the Spirit said, of course... Angel of the Lord's doing direction of the, the work of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is behind this whole operation. I mentioned to you Acts chapter 1 8, where, where Jesus said to his disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit, because when the Spirit comes, he will give you the power to do what I've commissioned you to do. There's a link between the Spirit and the power. And, we, and that's not something weird. It's just that we need divine, godly enablement to carry out and do God's work. I can't do it in my own strength. You can't do it in your own strength. Your wits and ability to think, you know, if I could just come up with a clever illustration, a clever argument, man, I can get people saved. No, 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 no. You can't save anybody. But God has chosen to use you with your words, your presence, your involvement, and seeing people birthed into the kingdom of God. We need the spirit. No sermon is complete without a good quote from Charles Spurgeon. And so Spurgeon said this. I love this. Hopefully you can read on the screen. Just listen. He said, if we do not have, and he really was addressing ministers, but it fits churches too. If we do not have the spirit of God, it were better to shut the churches shut them down, to nail up the doors, to put a black cross upon the church and say, God have mercy upon us if we don't have the spirit of God. He says, if you ministers have not the spirit of God, you had better not preach and your people had better stay at home. He says, I think I speak not too strongly when I say that a church in the land without the spirit of God is rather a curse than a blessing. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you stand in somebody's way. You're a tree bearing no fruit, standing where a rightful tree might grow. Wow. Man, that, that, that affected me. I don't know if it meant anything to you, but as a minister of the gospel, and really we're all ministers, you know what I mean, but in my role and responsibility, how I've got to be leaning and depending upon the Spirit of God. And I think one of the reasons sometimes our churches in our country are so anemic is because we're leaning and depending on everything except the Spirit of God. We come up with new gimmicks, new marketing strategy, new development plans. Come up with new ways to get people and corral people. And, and there's all good things within that. But if what is not burning and the fire and the furnace of the church is not the Spirit of God, we are wasting our time. And one of the great fears I have is to do really good at doing wrong things to get to do really good man that's excellent but it's like Jesus said in Matthew 7 to those that came to him in that day he said uh you know I recognize what you did there but I don't know you guys I don't know you not you weren't on my agenda wouldn't that be terrible for Grace Church not to be on the agenda of Jesus I love the fact that Philip, verse 29, when the Spirit said to Philip, Go and join this chariot. Look at verse 30. So Philip ran to him. Now picture this. This guy's a big shot from another country. He's in charge of the queen's money. If you ever watch The Godfather, you know how important the treasurer is, Right? That's a joke. Laugh, smile, breathe. Listen, if you don't respond, I preach longer. I'm just telling you. Okay, good. All right. Start running around the church. (laughs) Now picture Philip running alongside. Imagine, let's say, the Secretary of the Treasury. Was that Mnuchin? I don't even know these guys' names now. And he's in a motorcade somewhere out on 98, and I park my car at Arby's, and man, I start running like crazy to try to catch up with that limousine making its way through Lakeland, how long do you think Grady would let me run alongside that car? Huh? I think he would clip me when I stepped out of Arby's. <laughs> Do you get the idea how, I mean, and yet that's what it says. He's running alongside, and what does he do? He hears him in there, and he hears him reading, reading Isaiah, reading it out loud. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? Now, let me tell you something. The reason I want to make you see that is because we oftentimes think sharing the gospel is memorizing some kind of canned sales presentation, have you ever been talking to a um, uh, telemarketer and you can tell they're just reading? Or you're calling about some major snafu in your credit bill? You got charged some, whatever, and you can ch- tell they just pulled up that canned answer and they're just, and you, you know, you just, you just, it does, you don't feel the love. You feel something else, but you don't feel the love, right? The Holy Spirit will give you specific, intentional, divine strategy for every person that he commissions you and you know what you just need to be ready but depend on the spirit of god because everybody has a different entry point where we of interest in the sense of what's going to hook us what's going to get our interest and so here he's reading and he didn't say do you understand the historical theological perspective of the messiah and his role in the dominion and resurgence of the nation of israel my friend Did he say that? No. He said, do you know what you're reading? And I love his answer. He said, how can I? Unless somebody guides me. Bingo. That's Hebrew. Bingo. A door's open. And Philip just goes right in there. And and, and so that brings us thirdly. Not only do we see how God has prepared the seeker the importance of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, but don't leave out the promise of Scripture and the role of Scripture, why it's Spirit and the Word that are so vital and so important that He just happened coincidentally, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, He just happened at that moment to be reading from Isaiah... At a particular place that we know here as you read on, it's a quote from Isaiah 53 that is a prophetic picture of the suffering Messiah who would die a death of atonement to save his people from their sins. It speaks of the Messiah who would come to die. Peter didn't like that message. He said, no way, Jesus, I'm going to let anybody going to kill you. And what did Jesus say? He said, get behind me. Because you're not mindful of the works of God. The cross is the work and the plan of God. And this man just coincidentally is reading about what we would call the cross. Pretty cool. He says, do you know what you're reading? How can I unless somebody helps me? And he guides him. The Bible says, and I think it's on the screen, Hebrews 4.12 you see, you can't, you can't speak the Word of God if you don't know the Word of God. If you're not engaging in Scripture in some way, and I would even say in some systematic way, that's why it's good for you to come on Wednesday nights. That's why it's good for you to be consistent on Sunday morning. Because this is what we're doing. We're engaging in Scripture, being part of a, of a small group. If there's not one now, there will be. If, in other words, you're doing, even your individual time where you're reading the Bible and you're praying, you're, you're involved because if you're not involved in the way that God has designed to speak to us, which is His Word, you're not going to know what He's saying when He needs you to say it. Fourth, not only was the seeker being pursued, God gave the empowerment of the Spirit. He had the promise of Scripture there. But he didn't get sidetracked in talking about politics and the football season and what's the economy like in Ethiopia and it's a nice chariot you have. I saw that on chariots, TV channel, whatever. You know, I mean, sometimes we allow people. Remember the woman at the well when Jesus asked the woman at the well for a drink of water and they began to engage and when he put his finger on the fact he spoke about her husband and, of course, we knew that she's had multiple husbands and, and what did she want to do? She wanted to change the subject. She wanted to get real theological and say, you know, Jesus, uh, since we're, you know, uh, and she just went off in a dire- different direction and say, you know, your forefathers, our forefathers said we were going to worship on this mountain, and the Jews are going to worship on this mountain. That was not anything that Jesus was talking about. You can always find sometimes when you've put your finger, or the, let's just say not your finger, the Holy Spirit's finger, on a person's in their life and an issue that maybe the God's dealing with them with. Because, I don't know about you, but man, I want to change the subject real quick. Right? Man, I, I'm not comfortable with that. But the Spirit of God is not going to waste time. And man, he's moving right in here. And so we see that what, is, what does Philip do? He doesn't waste time. He talks and directs the attention to Christ the proclamation of the Savior. I started to say the presentation, like, you know, here's your option, here's the presentation of Jesus among many religions. No, this a proclamation is speaking forth to proclaim and say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In Acts chapter 4, the disciples would say, there's no other name given under heaven. By which men, women can be saved except the name of Jesus. That offends people. It upsets people when you start talking about Jesus is the only way. But that's exactly what Philip did. First Corinthians chapter two. Notice with me something Paul says. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan, for I decided. That while I was with you, I would forget everything except, what? Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness. He's telling the church at Corinth, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, what did he do? He said, I relied only on the power of God. Of the Holy Spirit. Should we not do and be committed. To anything less. Than dependency. And before I leave this point. Verse 34 and 35. As, before he, uh, as, he, as he was reading that. Or as the passage that he was reading. I love the fact that it just says. Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth. Boy sometimes that's just where you got to start right. Want to know where you start in sharing the gospel. Sometimes you just got to open your mouth. Say, hey, let me tell you about what you're reading. That leads us to the final fifth observation here. And we see God's plan of salvation. It says, the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say? About himself or about someone else? That really goes back to the last thing I, I was saying about Christ. And the Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture... Right there. He told him the good news about Jesus. Verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, it doesn't tell us what goes on between verse 35 and 36. But I am... Pretty sure there was more conversation that went on. If you read in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached that Pentecost message, the Spirit came down, and they said, It says that the men of Jerusalem that were hearing Peter preach under that power of the Spirit, it says they were cut to the heart, conviction. And they said, What must we do to be saved? And he said, Repent and be baptized. Repentance baptism. Now, don't confuse and think that baptism saves you. That's a falsehood. Baptism is only the physical expression of the inward reality. To baptize, literally, the word means to immerse. That's what it means. If they had just translated it in its literal meaning, we wouldn't have probably a lot of controversy about what baptism is or it isn't. It means to immerse. And if the pattern that Philip followed is the same that Peter followed, it says, and and those who received his word, talking about Peter in Acts chapter 2, that those who received his word, it said, yes, we we will repent and we want to be baptized, they received the word. It says they received the word and they were baptized. You see, baptism is a result of receiving the word accepting and trusting in faith in jesus christ you don't get saved by getting wet you don't get saved by going through some ritual the baptism is an expression or a visible sign of that death burial and resurrection when a person is baptized water baptized they stand in that water as the old man old person and they go under that water symbolizing the burial that we identify with christ our old man is buried with christ But when I'm raised up, I'm raised to new life as Christ was resurrected and my new life is in Christ. And so baptism is a a symbol, is a memorial of what's going on or what has already transpired in a person's life. And what I find interesting is he says, look, here's, here's a lot of water. We can be baptized right now. Now, I don't know about you, but I assume this guy's a big shot. and He's probably got some Zephyr Hills water maybe in his chariot, don't you think? A little water there, keeping wet. You know? Why don't he just fill, say, hey, we don't need to stop. Let's we'll just keep driving. I'll just sprinkle and throw it all over you. Let's keep driving, buddy. Let's go. We can be baptized on the run here. No, because he taught him what scriptural baptism was, he says, stop. Look, here's enough water for me to go. And it says, look at it, what it says here. Don't miss this. It says, verse 39, and when they came up out of the water, methinks that they were in the water. They were, or at least one of them was under the water. They were, he was being baptized, okay? Why is that a big deal? Because that's what the Bible teaches. If a church is going to be a New Testament church, shouldn't it do the pattern of what Jesus does? Can God save a person without baptism? thief on the cross didn't be baptized. Right? But don't make the thief on the cross your patron saint. Okay? (laughs) And what do we see here? We see this man, by God's Spirit, an obedient servant, was saved. So what do we... Take away this morning. Here's some reminders as we close. God has a people that He has prepared, and He is preparing who will hear the gospel and who will obey the gospel. God is preparing a people. He has prepared people. He is preparing people. We just want to find out who they are. And how do we do that? We do like Philip, we open our mouth and start engaging people with truth, and allow the Spirit of God to work. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us to give us the words and direction as we witness, as we're obedient, as He empowers us to, again, supernaturally do what we are naturally unable to do. That's why we must have the power of the Spirit. It isn't just going out with clever arguments and Jokes and quotations to woo people. And we must know the word of the Lord. We must know how to properly handle the word of the Lord. You see, we fail to communicate his message because we don't know his message. You've got to be people that are engaging in Scripture. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. And don't, you've heard me say this, don't allow a lack of reading or education to hinder you. You are a new creation in Christ. If you have trouble reading the Bible, you can listen to it for free all day long on the Internet. By the way, on our phone app, it's all there. You can engage in the Word of God if you want to. And the question is whether you want to. And whatever we do as we converse with people and become great commission people, Christ must be the focus of all we do. You see, an emphasis and a renewal Of our sharing the gospel and being passionate in evangelism isn't about gimmicks and ways to grow and get Grace Church to be bigger. This is kingdom mindset. I'm okay if I, you know, if the Holy Spirit allows me to lead somebody to Christ and I give Victory Church a really hot member passionate about Christ, you know what? I'm okay with that. Why? Because when the water rises, all boats get a lift. Okay? Right? Some of you got to let that sink in a little bit, your (laughs) deep thoughts there between Golden Corral and water lifting. I like that Philip was not intimidated by the fact that this guy was a big shot. This guy was a high political official. It would have been easy because human nature would say, man, I I don't want this guy to think I'm some nut, really, you know, I mean... Hey, that's really good. You're reading Isaiah. Just, you know, just say, every day's a Friday, buddy. Just keep going, right? He wasn't intimidated by this guy's status. He took that scripture and went right to the cross. And I would just ask, are we willing to make ourselves available? Philip did. Was it convenient? Probably not. But the Holy Spirit said, get up and go. And Philip said, well, you know, it's going to take me two days, Lord. I'll just kind of get myself. It says he ran. Kind of reminds me of those disciples when Jesus said, follow me. What would they do? The Bible says, one of the, gosp- the gospel said they dropped their nets and they did it. Followed. So is it in my life the great commission or the great omission? I hope that when the Spirit says go, when the Spirit says go, that we're willing, we're ready, we're obedient, we're prepared, and what will God do? We'll be amazed. Of what God can do. Through me. Not be just He can use me. And I found one of the greatest ways. To get over. Spiritual depression. Is to start engaging people with truth. And seeing the Holy Spirit. Usher people in the kingdom of God. And he uses me to do that. I believe as a church. We won't have to come up with new gimmicks and new fads and new this, that, and the other. We'll just be overwhelmed by what God is doing and what he's allowed us to do as his church because we're committed to the Great Commission. Let's pray.